Hi, this is James Barris. I hope you find this talk supports you in your practice. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button underneath my picture on Dharma Seed to do that. Your support is greatly appreciated. How's this? The, yeah, sound is good. You can hear me, right? Great. Okay. <clears throat> Last week we oh, this is not. last week we um, started exploring refuge in the sangha. Uh, for those who weren't here last week, as we chant at the uh, the end of the sitting, we say "udang um, saranang gachami, damang saranang gachami, sangang saranang gachami." I take refuge in the Buddha, which means I take refuge in that place inside, besides the historical Buddha, which we have, you might have tremendous gratitude for, uh, the Buddha within, that is seeing that you have just what the Buddha discovered right inside of you, the potential for complete freedom, awakening. I take refuge in the Dharma, in the teachings, that the meditation is based on, but even more fundamentally and profound, uh, the refuge in life, in the natural unfolding of things, refuge in the truth, and refuge in the Sangha, that is the community, uh, the monastic community, people who, uh, those who've experienced awakening for themselves over the last 2,500, 2,600 years, and more um, broadly, the community of like-minded friends who um, share interest in awakening, awakening, waking up. And um, we talked about, I mentioned a bit about why I believe in community and, and the magic of, of, of community. And tonight I want to share a few more thoughts and then um, have you um, actively engage uh, in a little bit of exploring of community or sangha, sangha, that is uh, to come together. <coughs> and I wanted to start first by talking about um, friendship, which is really the heart of sangha, which is really why we take refuge. We need each other. It's really lonely if we don't have others to connect with. <clears throat> Unless you're doing a self-retreat and you're really going in there and that has its own brilliance and deep connection. You connect inside so that then you can come outside and, and be with the world. But we need each other when, we're, when, we're, when we get confused, when we get lost, when we are wanting to be reminded of what is important to us. We can be, we're reflections of each other. And so when uh, 
you forget and you're around somebody who's kind and wise or caring, um, it reminds you of those qualities in the same way that you do that for others. Everybody in your life who you have a friendship with is richer for that friendship. <coughs> so I want to talk a little bit about friendship. And for, for me, the, uh, uh, there's a few different thoughts and, and, and uh, moments of teachings that came to my mind as I thought of it. Uh, one, my, probably my favorite movie of all time, and yes, I'm a little bit of a, you know, I can be corny and sentimental, uh, is uh, It's a Wonderful Life, which I've probably seen, you know, Twenty times or so, and now it, it this—it's the one DVD I ever bought, and um, I, I got it because whenever I get a little bit tight, um, if I just put it on for five minutes, that's all it takes, and it can go any scene, any particular scene, you know, just and because it evokes in 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 me and why it's played every year. Uh, just this, the beauty of Jimmy Stewart discovering what a rich life he has. Uh, anybody not see It's a Wonderful Life here? Uh, because, and I love it, it's such a beautiful karmic uh, exploration. If this, if this person didn't live just all the different how everything would be so different for everybody else in his life. And the very end, if you recall, uh, there he is by the Christmas tree, uh, and, uh, <laughs> and, uh, and, the, um, and he's, holding his, he's holding Zuzu, his, his daughter, and the bell rings on the Christmas tree. You remember this? Do you know what I'm talking about? And, uh, <laughs> and he... Uh, and he opens up this, this gift that was just handed to him. And she says, uh, oh, look, Daddy, a bell, a, uh, a bell just rang. A uh, teacher says that when a bell rings, an angel just got his wings. And then open it up, and there's uh, uh, an inscription from Clarence, who just earned his wings. And he says, uh, I'm such a sap. You know? <laughs> No man, uh, no man is a failure who has good friends. And that's the end. And it's true. That's what it's all about, isn't it? At the end of your, as Jack Cornfield says, at the end of your life, the question, probably the most important question you can ask yourself is, did you love well? Did I love well? Did I let people I know and care about, let them know that I really loved them. Did I, was I able to take in the love of others around me? That's what really matters. Everything else is kind of secondary. Do I feel connected to life through my friendships and, and my relationships? While I was doing this, uh, putting my thoughts together, um, I, 
I called up my good friend Lynn Moody, who uh, used to be on the Spirit Rock board, and we'd have a lot of meetings at her house. And she has, in her, she had, because I called and asked her husband, go check this out for me. She had in her bathroom, I love going to her bathroom, <laughs> because there's this, there was this plaque, and every time I read it, I would, I would be moved. And I said, Henry, read me what's on that plaque. And he said, oh, we packed it up, and I don't know where it is. My favorite <laughs> bathroom plaque in the world, and kind of, this is essentially what it says. Um, a friend is someone who knows where you've been, supports you in where you're going, allows you to be who you are, and gently invites you to grow. I love that. Mm. Good friendship is spoken of very highly by the Buddha. If you're familiar with the, the list of the, the seven factors of enlightenment, all the um, awakening factors that when mature, the mind becomes liberated. Mindfulness, investigation, energy, joy, calm, concentration, equanimity. Those are the seven factors of enlightenment. And he said, each of those, there's a set of suggestions in how to develop them. There is one common suggestion for all seven. It's the only one that's the same in all seven. You know, concentration might have a different causative factor than, say, uh, joy or, or, or energy uh, in some respects, but they all have this in common. Keep the company of the wise, the company of those who have those qualities, and avoid the company of the foolish, of those who do not have those qualities. Now, that's not to say, you know, you've got to excommunicate all your friends who are not filled with equanimity. Uh, but if you want to develop those qualities, if you want to learn more about equanimity, be around somebody who has that developed. If you have that developed sufficiently within yourself, then you can be a benefactor for somebody who doesn't have equanimity then you become, that becomes your gift. All the qualities that we're developing become the gift to others because it, it rubs off. I, I think I said it last, last week, I'm not sure. I, I think of us all as um, transmitter-receiver energy units. We're always taking in from the world around us and affecting the world around us. And it's all an energy exchange, and if you are tuned into an, the energy of equanimity or joy or uh, calm, if it's around you, it resonates and starts to um, uh, shift your, your own frequency. And the same way we affect those around us as well. Mm. Friendship is such a... Uh, complex and mysterious thing. I, I thought I'd read a little bit about, actually before I get into, I'm going to read a little bit from 
uh, from my book tonight around this, but I thought I'd read a little bit of the Buddha's words on good friends. This is from the Sigala Sutta, Advice to Lay People uh, in the Diganakaya. There are four types of friends he talks about. Friend who is a helper, friend who is the same in happy and unhappy times, friend who points out what is good for you, and a friend who is sympathetic. Okay, those are the four different types. And with each, within each, there are four aspects. So I'll read each one, the four aspects, what, what he means. A friend who is a helper looks after you, oh, uh, looks after you when you're inattentive. Watch out. is a refuge when you're afraid, looks after your possessions when you're inattentive, and when some business is to be done, he lets you have twice what you ask for. So somebody who's really generous. Okay. A friend who is the same in happy and unhappy times, okay, tells you his or her secrets, guards your secrets, does not let you down in misfortune, and would even sacrifice his or her life for you. That's a really good friend. Uh, yeah. But actually, there's something in the human experience that naturally does, can do that, even when we are not with our good friends. But when we really care about somebody, we, we, really, we don't want to see them hurt or in danger, and would, would put ourselves in, uh, in harm's way. Perhaps. Friend who points out what is good for you can be seen to be loyal in four ways. He or she keeps you from wrongdoing, supports you in doing good, informs you of what you did not know, and points out the path to heaven or to the higher realms. So a friend who points out what is good for you, that means sometimes they'll point out stuff that you might not want them to point out. You know, like you ever hear somebody say, if you know what's good for you, you'll, well, a friend who really cares about you will say, you know, um, that might have been a little bit off. I really care about you. And I, I, uh, you might consider this in the future, or this was that was really hard for me, and I want to talk about it because it's getting in the way. A really good friend, according to the Buddha, is somebody who's willing to say the hard stuff, but saying it in a kind way, not to be right, but because you really care about the person. And then finally, the sympathetic friend does not rejoice at your misfortune, rejoices at your good fortune, stops others who speak against you, and commends others who speak in praise of you. Isn't that nice? So very practical. It all makes sense. How mysterious to have that deep connection 
with somebody who cares so much about you or somebody who you care so much about. But it is kind of interesting how even with our closest friends, sometimes with our closest friends, that loving connection can be very fragile. That loving connection can seem to disappear when we're disappointed, when somebody doesn't meet our expectations, when somebody behaves in, way that, uh, in a way that is confusing to us. Precisely because we care so much, we can get disappointed. And so I want to just read, uh, I will read one uh, passage. I read this the other night too. Uh, from my new book. I mean, might as well do a little bit here. Um, which I really, I really um, believe in. Yeah. Most of our love comes with some level of the kind of attachment that's painful. We want the people we love to think and act in ways we think are best for them. We want them to do and say things that we like. I'll just skip around. Um, when we love someone, we want that person to be happy, but it requires a lot of surrender to trust that they will find their way, perhaps by a different route than the one we think is best. What we think of as love can sometimes end up being a strategy to get our loved ones to behave in ways we think are right or to give us what we think we need. In doing so, we're seeing them only through our own filter and it can cut off a genuinely loving connection. I'd known Phyllis for a number of years as a meditation student and I could see that she had a deep commitment to getting through the ways in which her heart was closed. When she came in for an interview during a retreat I was leading, she felt open and trusting enough to share a profound insight that she just had about herself. I realized that with people in my life I really care about, like my children, my husband, and close friends, I try to anticipate their needs, then do things for them to help them out and show them I care. I realize I'm trying to make them love me. And I'm seeing now how draining that is. It just doesn't work. How do you know it doesn't work, I asked. Because they often tell me that I'm trying too hard, and they're right. This is uh, last year's uh, February retreat. But I don't know what else I can do. I really want them to love me. I asked her to imagine putting herself in their place. How would you feel about someone who was trying to make you love them? Awful, she said. I'd want some space. And how would you want that person to relate to you? Phyllis thought for a few moments. I just want them to let me to be who I am. I want to feel their love and support without wanting without them wanting anything in return. Well, there's your answer. Just let them be who they are. Get in touch, in touch with what you love about them and stay focused on that rather than what you want to get from them. During the course of our retreat, Phyllis came to see that wanting to be loved and doing everything she could to get that from her family was based in a pattern that began in her childhood. Will it ever end, she asked one day. Feeling compassion for her pain, I asked softly, do you want it to end? She nodded. 
We were at Spirit Rock, which is located on 400 acres of rolling hills dotted with forests of oak and bay trees. I suggested that she find some place outside where she felt safe and comfortable and do a little ceremony to consciously let go of that pattern. There's a particular tree I feel really good sitting under, she said with a spark of hope. Good. Go there and let that tree be your witness. Let go of the thoughts that keep you focused on what you believe is missing in your life. Turn your attention to all the love that's there. You're starting on the next chapter of your life. Let go of the past and let yourself discover the joy of loving your own self as well as others and be open to receiving their love. On the last day of the retreat, Phyllis came in to see me. She was beaming as she gave her report on what had happened when she did her ritual at the tree. It was really powerful. As I sat there, it occurred to me that we've all meant well and done the best we could. In that moment, I was able to let go of all the blame and what-ifs I've been carrying around. I think I'm ready to learn a different way of relating to my family now. I'm looking forward to seeing what it's like to express my love for them without trying to figure out what I can get back. My exchange with Phyllis had a profound effect on me as well. That afternoon, I found myself reflecting on her story and looking at my own life and the subtle expectations I was bringing to some of my close relationships. I decided to practice what I was preaching and focus on the love I felt rather than what I was hoping to get or what I was expecting from the other person. Each time I've managed to do that since, I've noticed an immediate release as the pain of wanting turns into the joy of loving. And now I'd like to share with you, in the book there's lots of different exercises and I'd like to just share with you a little bit of this exercise so you get a, a sense of it. Just right now, close your eyes and bring to mind someone that you love. Maybe a friend, a child, it could be a pet, anyone. Focus on how much you care about their well-being and happiness. How much you want to see them happy. And notice how good it feels to simply love that being. Now, turn your attention to something that you want from them. Maybe attention, reassurance, affection, a certain behavior. Notice if the feelings in your body and your state of mind shift from openness to contraction, from a sense of fullness and connection to pulling back, closing down. Just notice if there's a difference when you want And now, once again, shift your perspective and get again in touch with how much you wish them to be happy. Just that you wish for their well-being and their happiness without wanting anything 
just because it makes you happy to see them happy. Let your thoughts return to the love and the positive feelings you have for them. And notice again how it feels. any difference it's really powerful for me uh, and there it is there they are this source of real joy and happiness inside when you just wish them well and as soon as you want something from them there's a movement of contraction that gets in the way of the love and of course if somebody wants something from you, how do you respond? Do you say, oh, great, let me, let me meet you there? Probably you say, mm, I don't know. But if somebody is just beaming you love, what do you do? You want to enter into that field. So wanting doesn't get what you want. Not wanting or loving gets you what you wanted all along. Isn't that interesting, that paradox? Okay, so now I want to get to uh, Sangha a bit. It might take a couple of weeks to do this. <clears throat> so it's one thing to have that connection with one other person, but when you have it with more than one, when there's a group of people, three or four or more, or a whole room, and everyone is aligned together, and we have a feeling of community, that is quite extraordinary. Then that shared energy, it doesn't belong to anyone. Right? It's not, oh yes, I'm so happy because I'm with so-and-so. It's like, oh, we're all in this together. And there's a kind of, for me, that's where the real magic happens. When people get together, I've, I've shared from this article that I, I love called uh, Come Together by a guy named Craig Hamilton. He talks about modern uh, systems theory where when there's an alignment of energies between members of a group and there's a real harmony there, then something quite different can emerge from that alignment. Something where the whole is much greater than the sum of its parts. Do you know what I mean? What's that? Synergy, a kind of, yeah, synergy is a good word for it. A kind of blending, melding, and co-creating something extraordinary that wasn't there before. That you can't separate out. And we see this in lots of different ways. You know, for me, actually, you know, one that probably anyone who's at least old enough can remember, you know, when, when the Beatles were really going strong, it was like there was something very amazing coming through them. And when they broke up, you know, the dream is over. 
it's like, you know, along with probably millions of others, no, that can't be. Because that magic, even though each one was you know, extraordinarily gifted in their own way, it's that coming together and making something and co-creating that uh, that's you know that's the special thing in sports. I'm you know I, I used to be a really big sports nut fan. I still like sports occasionally, but nowhere near, near where I used to because it, with free agency in the last few years, you get a winning team. And then the, usually the, the one or two stars say, okay, I can, I can earn, instead of earning $15 million, I can earn $20 million if I go to another team, right? And what has always drawn me to sports is the teamwork, is the everybody just knowing how to do what they do and complementing each other, that just is the ultimate aesthetic for me. In, in my, in my uh, room, in my basement, there's uh, my, my, one of my closest friends gave me a picture, it's hanging up, of um, the, uh, the New York Knicks when I was a season ticket holder uh, in like 70, 70 through 73. And the, the New York Knicks was this, were this incredible team and teamwork was the whole deal. And their coach, Red Holzman, he's he's it's it's a huddle is the is the picture, and um, there's Red Holzman, <laughs> you know, telling them, and there's you know, Dave DeBusher and Dick Barnett and Willis Reed, and, and they're all kind of just listening, and they're all it's like one mind. I love that picture. He said, I think you're gonna like this one. I couldn't believe it. It's one mind. When you're on that same wavelength and it's one mind, it's like you lose yourself. There's that sense of, of, of self dissolving because we're all in this together. And we go through that not just in seeing a team or in, 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 a, in a rock and roll band, but a whole city can go through that or a whole country can go through that. When Obama was, was elected in the, in the election, one of the amazing things was the energy of so many people coming together and willing that to happen. Or when a city like New York goes through 9-11, often it's the adversity that brings people together, that brings the best out of people and putting the petty things aside and saying, okay, we're going through a hard time. Let's get together in this. And sometimes I think that global warming in some ways, the, 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 the hidden blessing, if one could say that, is that we all have to come together. What is it? Uh, Benjamin Franklin says, uh, we must all hang together or we will all hang separately. Right? If we, we've got to figure out a way to come together. That doesn't mean that there aren't problems when we come together. Sometimes you go through an advers uh, adversity and it can make the group stronger and sometimes it can make the group weaker. So we have to, have to see how you get through the hard times as well as the good times. And that's what 
community is not only about enjoying all the good times. It's going through everything in life. And here we are, a community that comes together on Thursday nights. And uh, it, feels, it, it feels really good in this room. I just am so appreciative that, that I have this community uh, to share and that we all can share with, with each other. It's, it's, I wouldn't want it to be a community where it's about coming to get entertained on a, you know, for a Thursday Dharma talk, if that was all that is. And some people are just coming and then going, but there's a group of people who really care about making it a welcoming space so that everybody feels that they belong. And when you feel like you belong, then you take ownership of the community. Then it's partly yours. It's all of, it's our community. And sometimes a group this size is unwieldy. How do I figure out how do I belong? That's why I want people to raise their hands and say who they are, say their names, so at least they get their voice in the room and they feel a, a connection. But it can be a lot. And actually in uh, social, social psychology, um, it's said that the optimal size of a group for intimacy is uh, about seven people. Uh, that's about the outer limit. Certainly there can be an intimacy with three or four or five or six. Seven or eight is, and once you get beyond that, there can be really, and there, it's, there are exceptions to this of course, uh, but there's, it stretches, the mind can't take in much more and feel connected to everybody in that same way. So uh, we have one of the things that, w that, that we do here and that I like to um, uh, encourage is uh, people coming together who really want to feel a connection and get nourished in their, uh, their Dharma life in smaller groups. And uh, there are these small groups Kalyanamita groups or Dharma friends groups. How many people are, have been or are in a, uh, a, a group like that? Okay, wonderful. Okay. Um, so Kalyanamita means spiritual friend. And um, I thought we could... Um, we could do um, just a little bit of a connection with ourselves, with, with each other. Um, just, and next week we'll go more into uh, Kalyanamita groups, but just for a moment, um, close your eyes. And uh, whether or not it's a spiritual friends group or a Dharma group, just reflect on your own experience of community. When have you felt part, really felt like you belonged in a community? Whether it's a, a small size of seven or eight or less, 
or a larger group. It can be in your family. Maybe you have that kind of a family or friends. And if you can recall, what were the elements that helped align everybody? How did it feel? How did it affect you? What would come out of you being part of that group? remember back or maybe you're in a group like that now maybe you feel part of a community and now what I'd like you to do kind of just 20 after maybe 21 after is um, if you would um, get into a group of three and just talk for about five minutes or so of your experience of community. Uh, either either some sometime in the past or now or what you would wish for a community. Just uh, share a little bit and then we'll, we'll come back. Um, so just turn to a couple of people around you and share of your own experience, the, the, the magic or the challenge of community. Anybody, anybody need uh, need somebody? Uh, here's here's just a you can do a, a dyad if if you want. Here's two people right here.
Hey, just another minute or so. finishing up. in the room. You know why? Because you just had an experience of community. Just at least most of the groups that I was seeing, just a, a feeling of, oh, hi. What's your experience? What's your life like? What's it like in there for you? Well, this is what it's like for me. Where you open up and let somebody in and there's a, a, a sense of ease and connection and, and non-judging and you know, relative safety. Um, it feels good to feel that connection. We just did it. Isn't it amazing that we have that capacity? You know, there we are walking around like you know, we're walking down the street. This is Berkeley, so it's a little bit better, but you know, <laughs> still, you know, mm, okay, I've got my own world. And then, oh, hi. Oh, hi. And there we are, just so ready to come out if we have the invitation and the opportunity to just let our hearts out and let others in, and we feel alive and we come together. Oh, hi. That's really all it takes. Hi, I'm in here. You in there? Hi, nice to know you. Oh, yeah. So next week we'll, we'll explore a, a little bit more formally about Dharma friendships and, uh, and, and Kalyanamita. So uh, just to, to close, I'll share. I don't think I'm, I forget if I shared this poem uh, last time by my favorite poet, Dana Falls, who's throughout the book, by the way, he, she's incredible. There's about, it's almost a poem per chapter. She was very gracious in letting me use her poetry. Dana Falds, F-A-U-L-D-S. And this is her poem called Sangha. Did I read this last week? <coughs> okay. 
from her book, Go In and In. Sangha, teach me what I cannot learn alone. Let us share what we know and what we cannot fathom. Speak to me of mysteries and let us never lie to one another. May our fierce and tender longing fuel the fire in our souls. When we stand side by side, let us dare to focus our desire on the truth. May we be reminders, each for the other, that the path of transformation passes through the flames. To take one step is courageous. To stay on the path day after day, choosing the unknown and facing yet another fear, that is nothing short of grace. Sangha. So, uh, I hope you appreciate the various communities in your life and the friendships that you have uh, as you go through the week. We'll just close with a very short loving kindness. Just feel your own heart, your own goodness, your own impulse to connect and let others in and see who they are. And feel the wholesomeness of that and send yourself some kind thoughts of may I open to genuine connection with others. May I appreciate the blessing of Sangha. May I feel my love and share it well. May I awaken to my true nature. And then sending these thoughts out from this room, include everyone here and out to all beings in all directions. May all beings feel a connection to life and to others in their lives. May all learn to share their love well. May all awaken to the highest happiness. May our coming here together be of benefit to everyone in our lives and to all beings everywhere. May all beings happiness and peace. Thank you very much. Have a great week. Come, come to Pegasus next, uh, next Wednesday so I'm not alone. <laughs> or tell your friends. <laughs> See ya. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.